truly at Dogcast Radio. If you like dogs, wherever you are in the world, we're the show for you. Hello and welcome to episode 222 of Dogcast Radio, the show which marks our 15th anniversary. We have been sharing the love of dogs for 15 years. You can find all our episodes and more at dogcastradio.com. And we're going to get right on and keep sharing the love of dogs. If you've been listening for a while, you'll know it's never long before I start talking poo. And I'm going to do that today because we'll be hearing about environmentally friendly pooch paper. I found a US-based paper mill and they have an already recycled non-chlorine bleach paper fiber. It's manufactured at a carbon-neutral facility using renewable energy. It's 100% biodegradable, 100% compostable. And there'll be the Dogcast Radio News. We start with great news from Germany, because they are planning to introduce new laws which will ensure canine welfare. But before that, we've had lockdown, we've had lockdown lifted, partially, put back on, and we've done the okey-cokey and we've turned around, and our poor dogs must be wondering what it's all about. Chloe got in touch with her problem. Rodney is a six-year-old pug. He's had separation anxiety, but it got a little better. Then lockdown happened. My sister was off during the whole of lockdown, so he was never alone, which is when he got worse. He started barking randomly now, like if he's sitting with my mum, he will bark. He's now started to bark as soon as I go into the kitchen or if I go upstairs. He doesn't really bark much around me, but when I go to work, my mum said he barks on and off. Everybody is back to work now. He's only really alone five hours or so, but he starts howling about an hour or so after we've left him when I check the camera. Chloe, I was so sorry to hear about Rodney, and to get advice for you, I went to a behaviourist I've had wonderful advice from before, Fiona Whelan, who is a behaviour consultant at the Company of Animals. I think you and your fellow behaviourists are going to have a busy time coming up, because there's going to be a lot of dogs adjusting they've adjusted to lockdown now we have to adjust them out of lockdown Uh, there's going to be this problem again and again and again isn't there there is indeed and also we're going to have all the lockdown puppies because this is the other thing that everybody's been getting puppies during lockdown myself included actually (laughs) but my puppy was planned before lockdown happened and separation anxiety is is going to be one of the the problems that we're facing going to be facing a lot so actually there's an awful lot of dogs that suffer from separation anxiety anyway. And it's one of those problems that people often don't deal with until it becomes a problem for them because it's yeah. a problem for the dog and not always as much of a problem for the owner. Mm. So tends to be that owners will start to deal with it when the dog is causing a nuisance. So they have a complaint about barking from the neighbours or the dog is being destructive or in some really bad cases, we actually get dogs that will self-mutilate. Um, oh, yeah, so, yeah, so, I, I mean, over the years, I mean, I've seen some really extreme cases. I've known of dogs that have jumped out of top floor windows to try and get out of the house and find their owners. Oh. One client's dog um, a few years ago now actually, they lived in a flat above a shop on a high street, on a busy high street. And the dog actually jumped out the window and landed on the roof of a bus. And the bus (sighs) carried the dog all the way back to the bus station. 
<laughs> and it was only when they pulled into the bus station um, and people noticed there was a lurcher on top of the bus. Oh, um, <laughs> so, yeah, luckily with not too much injury to dog. But yeah, there's all sorts of horror, horror stories. So wow. separation anxiety is really, really common. And I think the most important thing for people to understand, dogs don't choose to have separation anxiety. They're yeah. not being naughty. They're not being difficult. And sometimes people can get, they get in this mindset. I've had people telling me that the dog's doing it to spite them, oh. that the dog is jealous, that the dog is trying to be dominant, all these things. And quite often people really can get quite negative about their dog. Yeah. So... Separation anxiety really is the equivalent of a panic attack. That is the closest thing we can put yeah. it to is a panic attack yeah. in a human being. And if you've um, ever had one, it's a vile sensation. I mean, you ha- you don't have control. You're quite right. In a panic attack, it's just you're bombarded. It's very, it's, it's, tra- it's traumatic, isn't it? It's horrible. Personally, I never have had a panic attack, mm. but I understand. Yes, indeed, it yeah. is. So, and, and this really is what the equivalent of separation anxiety is in dogs. Yeah. It is a panic attack. And, and the reason that lots of people don't manage to resolve the problem um, without the help of someone like myself is that what they try to do is they try to make the dog face their fears, which is, it seems like a rational way of resolving a problem. Okay, my dog doesn't like something, therefore I'm going to expose it to the thing that it doesn't like and gradually increase that. Now, that sounds quite logical. And in fact, to some extent, that is a process we would use. But for most dogs that suffer from separation anxiety, the panic attack, if you like, happens within the first 40 seconds of the person leaving the house. Hmm. So if you leave your dog for two minutes or two hours, it doesn't really make much difference. If it's already had the panic attack in the first 40 seconds, the problem is still being reinforced. So if you're going out, the dog is having the panic attack, even if you're only away for a few minutes, the problem is still there and it's still being reinforced. So actually how long you're away for in those circumstances often doesn't actually make that much difference. Wow. So when people try and resolve the problem and they leave the dog for two minutes, three minutes, four minutes, five minutes, and then they say, but it's not working. The dog's still just as bad. Well, it will be yeah. because the dog is still having the panic attack. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. But the the one bright spot of that is if it if it's as effective or horrible well if it's as horrible for the dog potentially if I leave it for two minutes then that gives me a lot more scope to to help to you know to practice and to train during the day not to not to make the dog not to trigger the panic attack I'm not saying that not to trigger the anxiety but hopefully to to have a go at avoiding (laughs) triggering the anxiety hopefully you know I can really get to grips with it if if you know if I follow the right advice Yes, indeed. And, and and we usually can help these dogs and improve them, um, if, if not completely resolve them. And certainly the case that we're, we're discussing with the pug, yeah. um, the fact that he has improved in the past suggests there's, there's room for him to improve again, yes. which is good news. Um, so, but generically, for, for anybody who's got a dog with um, separation issues, we need to look at that whilst they're trying to resolve this problem, if they are leaving their dog on one hand and then trying to deal with it on the other, they they are really wasting their time. What they really need to do is set a timescale where, 
you know, they don't have to leave their dog so yeah. that they can do this retraining through right. that period of okay. time. Where, because if you're doing all this work on the one hand, but then having to go out to work for four hours, it's going to be pretty much impossible to fix the problem yes, yes. because you're you're trying to fix it on one hand and then you're reinforcing it on the other hand. So it, it's not going to work. So talking about people in general, the advice I would always give is we need to create a window of opportunity of, say, I don't know, a month hmm. where you set up dog sitters, maybe doggy daycare, whatever, where the dog isn't being physically left other than part of our structured rehabilitation program yeah. so that we look at resolving this. So that that's important that we can try and do that. Now, for, for our individual case, I understand that this dog is going to have to be left and he's not as bad as some of the dogs I'm talking about because yeah. it sounds like he's coping for the first hour. So he he's slightly different in this case yeah but talking in general for people we would want to have a period of time where the dog isn't going to be left where we can work through a rehabilitation program and get the dog on the right tracks yeah. okay so yeah. that's an important thing to think about okay yeah so first thing we need to start thinking about is can the dog cope with separation from you while you're at home so if you've got a dog, you know, we get these people who say, oh, I call him Shadow because he follows me everywhere. Yes. Uh, well, Shadow is a classic case that he's going to have separation anxiety. So people often blame themselves. And this is really interesting. So it comes down to nature or nurture. Hmm. So some dogs will have a natural predisposition towards suffering with separation anxiety. Certain breeds have the predisposition and then individuals within that breed. So there can be some inherent traits to it. Hmm. Then we get nurture as well. So if, for instance, you are a puppy that is born in a puppy farm, hmm. um, in a kennel, where you're with your mother and your siblings 24-7 from day one, and then at six, seven weeks old, you get plucked out of that, that environment and sent away the chances are you're much more likely to develop separation anxiety yeah. because that dog will not have developed the coping strategies for dealing with being separated yeah. and what's likely to happen with those dogs is that when they go into a new home with a loving owner that loving owner becomes a surrogate mother and they they overdevelop a bond to that person and then can't cope without them. Yeah. So dogs that have come from puppy farm are likely to suffer from separation anxiety. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the things. But also dogs, anybody who's got a dog that's that's been bred into um, particularly kennel dogs where the bitch is with the puppies all the time. Mm. If if somebody has bred from a pet dog or, you know, a really nice responsible breeder where the bitch is taken out, go to the toilet, maybe be fed away from the puppies. And then as the puppies get a little bit older, she's given time out and breaks away from them, maybe starts to go out for a walk. Those puppies are naturally starting to develop those coping strategies from as early as three, four weeks of age yes. um, to develop the skills that they need to learn to be separated. Now, really good breeders 
um, who are really up on their game, as the puppies start to, once the puppies start to hit weaning age, some of those will actually start to divide puppies up, maybe start putting them off in pairs hmm. and separating them from the other puppies. So that, again, they are starting to increase that puppy's skills and coping strategies at being separated. And again, some really good breeders can even get to the stage where they'll they'll take individual puppies and give them time on their own so they're mm. starting to learn to be separate individuals um before yeah. they even go to their own homes all of those things will make a massive difference yeah for you for your puppy to then be able to deal with being on his own later on in life so it's really worth thinking about if you're getting a puppy to, to start looking at where your puppy came from, what his routine was when he was at home with, with his mum, with his siblings, whether he did start to spend any time. And when you get that puppy home, that puppy needs, and this is going to be the other problem, all these puppies that have been bought during lockdown, where they've gone into a home where there's people there all day, children are home from school, parents are home, they won't have been left alone. No. And then they're, all of a sudden, everybody's going to start going back to work, um, children are going back to school, and all of a sudden, this puppy's going to have to deal with being on his own for the first time. Yeah. Um, and it's going to be an issue. Yeah, yeah. So how on earth, if we've got to that point where, you know, if you've had a puppy, or, or it's an older dog, but we'll talk about the, you're talking about puppies at the moment, what would you do then? Because that's... That's the life they've known, having either mother and sibling or, and, and then their owners with them, their, you know, their human family with them. So then suddenly they're going to be ripped from the bosom of this, all this loveliness. Mm. Mm. So, that, I mean, it's a huge... And they have panic attacks. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Which, I mean, that's... They a, simply don't, yeah, they that simply don't have the skills to cope. Yeah. No, no. But I love that description, panic attack, because that's very relatable to, you know, most of us will have at least seen someone have going through a panic attack mm. and so then maybe that's a really good way to to get around this kind of why why are you doing this to me because i imagine you know if you've got to go back to work and if you're you know and you work out of the house and your kids have got to go back to work it's it, that all of that is stressful enough so then to have this flaming dog that's making things even harder i can see how people you know and you do take it personally because you go well i love you why are you doing this to me you're not loving me back you know, yes, but if you indeed. if you if you can empathise a bit and go, but the puppy or the dog is going through hell here. I mm. have to help. It's not, you know. But how do we do that then? Because that's you've missed that window of opportunity with the in the puppyhood and and in the early puppyhood in your house. What do we do? Because that sounds awful. Yeah. So what we have to do is 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 not leave the dog. Every time we leave the dog, we are practicing the problem. The more we practice the problem the more reinforced it is. Yeah. So we have to teach our dog to cope without us when we're in the house, because until he can actually learn to live with being separated from us when we're in the house, there is no chance whatsoever he's going to learn to deal with us once we leave the house. So it would be like trying to teach someone to drive on the M25. We've got to start this stage by stage. So first thing we need to do, we need to set up um, gates child safety gates or you can get the toilet dog gates yeah. yeah yeah gates are much better than closed doors um because when you when you shut a gate the dog can still see you it can still smell you he can still hear you you can still touch him through the gate but he can't make physical contact with you so gates are much better than actually closing a door mm. what we start off first stage of this 
put a gate up wherever it is going to be suitable in your house. And you start off with just getting up and step, opening the gate, stepping through it and closing it behind you. OK, leaving dog on other side of gate. You don't move away. You don't walk away. You literally just step through the gate and you don't tell the dog stay or sit or anything else because that's unachievable. You're not going to expect the dog to stay sitting for the entire time you're away when you do leave. So don't set yourself up for that. Mm-hmm. Um, don't make a big fuss. Just literally step through the gate and stand on the other side of the gate. So you're an inch or two away from him. Yeah. Um, all the time the dog is jumping up at the gate or trying focusing on you trying to get through do not move away do not step away don't make a fuss and if necessary if you think that your dog is really just even quite distressed just at you being on the other side of the gate sit on the floor sit down on the floor next to him let him make contact with you just let him get used to you being on the other side of that gate and him not being able to make contact with you now again these sort of old wives tales that that still spring about you know that dogs that bark or make a fuss that you mustn't give them any attention or you're you're going to reinforce their fear by doing this well that's all been pretty much dispelled now so we know that you cannot reinforce an emotional state with Mm. attention so you giving your dog a cuddle or you talking to your dog or soothing him or comforting him will not make him more fearful we cannot reinforce an emotional state with attention yeah however we can reinforce an action a behavior so if your dog is jumping up at the gate and barking because he's distressed and you give him lots of attention, you won't be making him more nervous and you may be comforting, but you may be reinforcing the barking yeah. and or the jumping up. So you could be reinforcing the action, even though you're not reinforcing the emotional state. So it's it's slightly, you know, careful ground we need yes. to tread on here to get it right. So. We simply go on the other side of the gate, we'd close the gate, but we give the dog enough of us to keep him calm. So we're not leaning over the gate, giving him lots of cuddles and lots of attention if he's if he's displaying actions or behaviors that we don't want to reinforce. If he were jumping up, if he were barking, we don't want to be giving him lots of comfort and attention because we can be reinforcing the behavior, even though we're not reinforcing the emotional state. So what we do is sit very calmly on the floor next to the dog, let him gain comfort from us. You can even just put a hand through gently, if you like, through the gate. Just stroke him a little bit, give him a little bit of attention and let him be calm. And of course, every dog is an individual some people will be able to go through that gate without any problem straight away other people their dog won't cope with that at all so you've got to really work at the level your dog can cope with there's there's no fast track to this there is no point going to the next step until Mm -hmm. your dog is happy and comfort comfortable at the previous step it simply won't work it's counterproductive so the good thing about separation anxiety is all the early work that you put in Um, It seems like a massive amount of work. But once you've put that work in and you've established all of that basic foundation, the the other bits happen quite quickly once Mm. you've got that. So it might take you a month to be able to leave your dog for five minutes. But then you might get from five minutes to an hour in another month. Mm. It doesn't go at the same process. Does that that make sense? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. 
So it's all the foundations that are important. So we get to the stage that we can go the other side of the gate without the dog getting upset. As soon as the dog shows some sign of relaxing, calming down, we come back in. We don't make a big fuss when we come in. We don't make a big fuss when we go out. And we just practice going in and out that gate as many times a day as you can physically be bothered to do. And you can do it multiple times on one occasion. In the gate, out the gate, in the gate, out the gate, in the gate, out the gate, as much as you can be bothered. And you can switch and change it. So you could do it, you know, the dog's on one side, you're on the other. And then you can switch sides so the dog's on the opposite side. And you can also do it sometimes there might be another person in the room with the dog. Sometimes everybody goes out the gate. Sometimes, So we switch and change it, make it as unpredictable as possible until the act of you going through the gate does not bring a big reaction from your dog Mm -hmm. when you've got to that stage then you're ready for the next step and for the next step we need to build on duration i.e the length of time that you're away from the dog and we need to build on distance i.e you moving away from the gate but we can't add duration and distance at the same time we do one or the other so we can do them both in that day but we don't do them both on the same occasion yeah so you start to to build up the length of time that you remain behind the gate um and you gradually start to move away from the gate as two separate exercises and we need to be unpredictable so whilst it needs to be progressive we need it to not be on an ever progressive scale so don't go one minute two minutes three minutes four minutes because dogs will plateau they count they will plateau. So even if you get to the stage, you can leave your dog behind the gate five minutes, sometimes only go for five seconds. So you go in and out, you build it up, and then you start to add distance. You start to move away from the gate and eventually till, and again, everybody's going to work through this at their own speed, depending on how well, because some people will be able to achieve that pretty much straight away with their dogs. And then you start to go out of sight briefly. So you pop out of sight, you pop back into sight, you pop out of sight, you might go upstairs or into another room. But what we're not trying to do is create a problem. So if the dog is barking or whining or scratching at the gate, you need to go back to an earlier step. If your dog does bark or whine or scratch at the gate, don't come dashing back immediately. Or you can be reinforcing the action, the behavior. But don't leave him to just bark it out it's a bit like anybody's done controlled crying in babies it's it's a, it's a similar sort of process so we need to come back if it's getting worse or it's not stopping we need to come back because all he's going to do is he's going to get into that panic state mm. where he's going to panic he's going to practice his panic attack but sometimes what you can do is do something to interrupt the barking so for instance if you were out of sight you could you know <coughs> make a big cough or something or stamp on the floor, or make a sound, even Hmm. whistle a little tune to yourself, something that just makes the dog stop for a moment, and then you appear back in the moment that he stopped. Yes. Yeah, just to give you a little help. But then you need to make the note to yourself, okay, this I did this for too long, or I went too far. So we need to take it back. And so this is what we do. So we gradually build up the length of time that you can leave your dog alone but whilst you are still in the house and that's the starter for dealing with our separation anxiety we can give the dog other things to do 
at this time. So one of the things that I really like to do with dogs that suffer from separation anxiety is absolutely stop feeding them from a bowl once, mm. twice a day for free. Deliver ideally all, but at least most of their rash, daily ration of food through food dispensing toys, stuffed in Kongs, in treat balls, in, you know, there's so many food dispensing toys nowadays. Yeah. And can I just, sorry, can I just say, our little mischief, our little uh, German Spitz client, she, we have various treat dispensing toys, mm-hmm. you know, and she's, yeah, she's not that bothered. We've got the one that's like test tubes on a, on a, rack up high that they have to spin to get the food out of and kongs and and lots of things that that our other dogs have loved and she's very clever but she's just like not interested in these toys at all what she loves is a cardboard box with treats or toys and we're now we're now at the stage Fiona where we have to do three and she will actually come and look at you and be like I'm bored, I'm fed up, can you give me something? So we do the cardboard boxes, we save all the likely cardboard boxes. We're now at the stage where she has to have three, like, you know, a small one and then a medium one and then a big one to really mm-hmm. engage and get mm-hmm. her brain going. But she adores that. But the, the you know, commercially bought ones, she's just like, well, I don't know what that is. I'm not interested in that. That's maybe because she's got a tiny little mouth. But she loves Yeah, and, and you can, make, yeah, you can make your own, absolutely make your own as well. Yeah. Um, you know, there's all or, or scatter food. But what you will find, because I get people who say, oh, my dog won't bother with those. Yeah. Well, you know what? If they don't get fed in a bowl twice a day for free, that's they start bothering Yeah, them. that's what we're doing wrong. We're yes. feeding the little dog. <laughs> yes. So, you know, why work for it if you can get it for free? Yes. But actually, yeah. if the bowl stops coming out, if you ditch the bowl, and the only way that the dog now gets his food is through these food dispensing toys, yeah. it motivates them much more yes, to actually right. go and make the effort. Yeah. Um, and it's good because it creates independence because – unfortunately what happens is we become these demigods to our dogs you know that provide their everything we provide their social contact we provide their food we provide their exercise we tell them when they can go in and out to go to the toilet you know we control every aspect of their lives so when we're not around that can be quite stressful for them yeah so part of the thing with separation anxiety is we need to create a little bit more independence so I like to, so again, even rather than their bowl of food being delivered by us and then the dog eating it in 20 seconds and forgot he had it, what I would like to do is get their food put into food dispensing toys, but rather than give it to them, I'll go and put them around the house or in the garden. And so the they dog hunt them down. <laughs> they go and hunt them and find yeah. them, you know, and discover them. So it motivates the dog to go and check out areas. You know, on fine days, you can even just scatter some kibble on the lawn or, yeah. you know, little trails around the garden path or, or wherever. So it motivates the dog to go off away from you and it creates a little bit of independence to go and find his food, to find his dinner. Yes. So that could be really helpful. And you can give him some of these things to do as well at the times while you're doing your gate training. Yeah. But... Be aware that dogs that suffer from separation anxiety, what allows the anxiety to build is the predictability, the dog being able to make the prediction that we are going to leave him. So if you only ever give him a Kong when you're going to leave him, a Kong can actually trigger the anxiety. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. 
So we need to make sure he has those things at other times. Create independence, spread the love a little bit. Often it's one person in the family that the dog is particularly attached to. Try and get other family members to do some of the walks, to play some of the games with him, to give some of the affection, to be the one that does do some of, you know, they might go and point out where the food dispensing toys are. We're trying to spread the love a little bit. And the person who the dog is most attached to actually needs to be a little bit aloof, a little bit cooler in their affections to encourage the dog to to seek love elsewhere. And that's a tough ask, isn't it? You know, because you love them. Yeah, they love you. And, you, you know, that's what we've got the dog for because we love them. And so that's a really tough ask to go, no, I'm just going to be a little bit, you know, particularly when there's a, a problem going on. That's really counterintuitive, isn't it? It is. And also what happens is these people who love their dogs and their dog has separation anxiety, they avoid leaving their dog because mm-hmm. they know how distressed the dog's going to be. Yeah. And then when they have to leave it, often they will they will give it huge amounts of attention before they go and oh i'm so sorry i don't mm. want to leave you and i won't be long but i've got to go to the doctors and you be a good boy and stay there and guard the house and mummy will be back soon the problem is when they then leave it's so much worse because the dog has had all of this attention yeah so when the person goes it's worse and then of course when the person comes back it's oh my goodness I'm home, you're all right, I'm back, everything's back to being wonderful. And unfortunately, this exacerbates the problem as well. Yeah. So we need to think about all of these things. So we're going to do our gate training. We're going to build up the length of time we can leave the dog behind the gate. We're going to mix it up. We're going to vary it. We're going to start to move away, go out of sight. We're going to build on duration. We're going to build on distance. The other thing we then need to do is we need to desensitize the dog to all of the things that allow him to learn to know to predict that we are going to leave so what happens is we get what is called trigger stacking so you know most people have a real routine when they're going to leave the house and what happens is the dog is there and he sees you put on your coat put on your shoes pick up your bag lock the door close the window, set the alarm, whatever it is. And the dog is, she's going to leave me. 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 And by the time you get out the door, bam, he's 10,000 feet and climbing. So he's already way, way over threshold. So he's already in a point that he can't deal with it. So in order to counteract that, what we need to do is we desensitize him to all of those triggers. So you put your coat on just randomly through the day and then sit down and read the paper. Yeah. You put your shoes on, lock the door, close the window and then have a cup of coffee. Um, so you mix all of those things up so he doesn't really, you know, those things no longer become triggers to the fact yeah. that you're going to leave. When you really are going to leave, you need to change that routine. So Go and put your bag and your coat in the car half an hour before you're actually going to go. Yeah. Close the window, lock the door, put the dog in the place where you're going to leave him and then sit down and have a cup of coffee and then just go Yeah. without making a you know. So the dog is, is in a better place to deal with it because he hasn't had all of these triggers that you're about to leave. Yeah. Um, the other thing that can really help that you can start to practice once you're at the – 
the point of actually leaving the dog is doing multiple mock departures. So you walk out the door, you come back in, you walk out the door, you come back in, you walk out the door, come back in. And one of those times you just stay away. Hmm. But again, dogs can count. So don't always stay away on the third time. <laughs> or the dog will right. know that on the third occasion you're leaving. But these are all the things we can do once we get to the point that we can actually leave the dog. Yeah. So we're desensitizing him to all the triggers. You can work out most people it's things like clothes, it's keys being picked up, it's bags being picked up, or it could be set times a day. You just need to mix up those routines and all of those things that trigger a reaction from your dog do at other times yeah without going out yeah yeah so yeah, we're minimizing yeah. all that once we've got our dog behind our gate we've built on duration we've built on distance and we've done some desensitizing to triggers we can start to perform the triggers whilst we are away from the dog and he is behind the gate hmm. so the dog is behind the gate i've left him behind the gate he can now be left behind the gate i don't know 20 minutes well whilst i'm out whilst he's behind the gate and i'm wandering around the house i pick up my car keys and i put my coat on but then I come back in through the gate and we just carry on yeah. as if nothing's happened. So we we see how we're mixing all of this up. Yes, yeah. The other thing we start to do then is the door by which you would normally leave. So he's behind his gate. You've got you've built up your distance and your duration. You go to the front door. You open the front door, close the front door, and then you appear back inside again. And you do that. So you're desensitizing him to the act of the front door opening and the sound of the front door closing. Yeah. Because these will be huge triggers that you're leaving. Until you get to the stage, you, you go out, you open the front door, you close it, count to 10 quietly, and then appear again. So you're building up the duration again. Yes. Once you get to that stage, of course, you can start to go out the front door step outside and then appear back in um and again don't make a huge fuss when you come back and you don't have to necessarily come straight back in and straight in through the gate again so you might come back in the front door shut the door and then you might wander off upstairs or into another room and then you might reappear and then you might go again so we're mixing it all up yeah through the time yeah which again to me is counterintuitive because you know one of the things for me is if I'm anxious about something, I want to know exactly what's going on, when it's going to happen, what's going to happen just before it, so I know how much, you know. And so, you know, I would think, well, I'll, I'll make it absolutely, I'm doing exactly the wrong thing, but I would make it exactly clear to the dog what's going on and that I'm, you know, and that instinct, completely wrong. So it's fascinating. It's really interesting. Yeah, but you, you of course, you have that rational brain where, and you have motivation to change. And this is what we have to understand with dogs is they have no motivation to change yeah. unless yeah. we create motivation. So the dog can't sit there and think, gosh, life would be so much easier <laughs> for me if I didn't get stressed every time I was left on my own. I'll, I'll try and deal with it in future. He yeah. simply doesn't think like that. No. So yeah. it's easier to make it normal to make it normal and, and not allow all of these key triggers now some people have done some work between uh, you know um actually setting up something that does indicate to the dog that he's going to be left hmm. um and that can work for some dogs but you really need to be doing that under the guidance of a behavior yes. counselor yeah yeah so in my in my generic advice to all these would be my suggestions. Oh, so yes, yeah. if you if you are somebody that's listening and you and you're 
you've had guidance and they have said to you well we need to set this up for the dog to let him know when you're leaving don't think oh my goodness my person's wrong um because that's different from what's being told now this is generic advice to everybody rather than that individual case yeah that's presumably that's part of it that if your dog is really incredibly distressed with this and you're going to be really upset about it as well it could be really i know people leave behavior consultations until you know it's desperate and because they don't like to spend money and that but for the dog's sake and for yours it is worth seeking the advice and having a behaviorist come in and see the behavior isn't it because they can read so much about what's going on you know from the dog's behavior so much about what the causes are that they can really help you you know they can give you shortcuts can't they and help you and help the dog indeed and and the problem you know the problem is with dogs everybody's an expert everybody is an expert and everybody will give you advice on what you should do and a lot of the time it's really bad advice and people will then say oh well my dog had this and I did this and it worked well that doesn't mean it's going to work for that other dog yeah so a good behaviorist is going to be able to look at your individual circumstances your dog your lifestyle what you need to do for that dog because what you do for one dog isn't necessarily what you do for another dog I have four dogs in my house I don't treat them all exactly the same because they're not all exactly the same so what I would do for one isn't necessarily what I would do for another and you know it I actually had a client very recently who when I spoke to them for some follow-up she said well my husband's girlfriend's hairdresser said yeah (laughs) you know and this is what you're up against so you're listening to your sorry son's girlfriend's hairdresser i thought she was very liberal yeah sorry sorry (laughs) sorry son's girlfriend's hairdresser said um you know and if you're going to listen to your son's girlfriend's hairdresser for advice on dog behavior then you know let you cut their hair (laughs) yeah exactly you get about the same results the chances are so I really always would encourage people to go and seek out professional help. And the best way to do that is get a referral from your vet to a properly qualified behaviorist. Yeah. Um, But all of these things we can do can start to help. So we're working on desensitizing to the triggers. We've worked on separation with the use of the gate. We've worked on creating a bit of independence. We've worked on spreading the love a little bit with other people in the family. Other things that are really worth pointing out, getting a second dog will not help. In 99.9% of cases, getting a second dog will not help your dog separation anxiety. And in fact, what you might end up with is two dogs with separation anxiety. Much, much worse. If you want to get another dog, get another dog because you want a second dog. Never get a second dog to fix a problem with your existing dog. Mm. Mm-hmm. not a good idea yeah and that's really um, important to say because people do do it don't they yeah yeah they do they do all the time and then they ring me up and say oh <laughs> it, it got worse and now the other dog's doing it as well um so yeah not something that that we should do um things that you can do to help your dog cope so maybe so going back a little bit to our pug that we're talking about mm. who who is is doing okay for a bit of it he kind of copes and then he starts to panic other things that we can do that might help 
Obviously, we know leaving a radio on can really help because there's some sound, there's some noise. Now, often dogs that are doing displaying a lot of barking when they're left, um, cameras are a really good idea because you can look back at that and you can see what's triggering if there is. So sometimes these dogs might be okay, they're borderline coping, and then something happens. Somebody knocks on the door or the post is delivered or the phone rings or something happens that triggers them to bark and then when they've got in that agitated state they can't calm back down again Mm. um so if there is a specific trigger like that that you're able to identify by use of the camera then you can work on desensitizing them to that trigger or trying to make their environment um so that they're less exposed to say for instance closing the curtains or putting them in another room where they don't have access to the front window or playing music so they don't hear the sound of something else so we can look at individual triggers for individual dogs and try and help on those we can also give them um, a comfort blanket so something that smells of you get an old t-shirt do something slightly energetic in it so it's a bit smelly don't wash (laughs) it and give your dog that and what can really help especially if you've got a dog that is a bit of a lap dog that likes to you know sit on your knee all the time or sit close to you and be with you when you're there is get a smelly piece of clothing an old t-shirt um and put a hot water bottle inside it um and then tie a knot round it so you kind of create a fake lap if you like smells of you and that can really help dogs that they go and settle on their their you know their false lap and snuggle up that and they can that can really help them cope that's so Um, clever wow yeah it can really it can really help you know i've even had people known people make false people so they get their clothing and they stuff towels down the trousers and whatever and make a little person and you know you can put a hot water bottle on and a hat on and sit it on the sofa and there they see their dog on the camera snuggled up to their dummy dummy human being you know so these things can help um you can also try obviously things like you know adaptil either in the collar form or the diffusers or the pet remedy spray um you can try some of the the natural calmers they can help a little bit none of these things will cure separation anxiety but they may just help take the edge off it a little bit again to create this window of opportunity for you to resolve your dog's problems yeah yeah brilliant brilliant and again i think a good a good reason to get the camera is you otherwise you won't see what's going on obviously but again to see if the dog is in a state you know in a very very distressed again to see that may help you empathize with the dog and sort of understand okay they this does need putting right they're in a bad way it's not something they're controlling it just happens to them and again to help you you know to motivate you to get that help for them to actually see because you wouldn't sit in the room with the dog in an awful state and just go oh it's okay and the camera, no, you know, no. will flag that up to you kind of thing. Mm. And, and the other thing that I get told is, oh, oh he's not distressed, he's naughty. Mm. I get told this all the time. Yeah. And they say, oh, yeah, but he's not really distressed. He's having a wonderful time. He's running around the house, ripping up things, mm. raiding the bin, you know, tearing up the floorboards or whatever. That doesn't mean he's not distressed. No. Um, and 
actually what we know that, that you know, often dogs that are given an outlet, some dogs, the natural outlet for their stress will be an activity. Yeah. So that the act of tearing something up, of digging, actually helps them feel better. Yeah. So if you've got a dog that is naturally a dog that wants to be destructive, give him things to destroy. Yeah. So give him things to dig, get, you know, shredded newspaper, leave him that, you know, things, old towels, things that he can rip up, that he can dig in um, and they can help him feel better. Some dogs like a den, they like, you know, get a crate and put blankets over it um, so they can go in there and have their little den to stay in when you're not around. Some dogs wouldn't like that. And I'm not saying shut them in it, but just giving them a den area in which to go in. And again, you can put loose things in there for him to dig in or whatever. My deaf dog, my profoundly deaf dog, who's deaf from birth, doesn't suffer from separation anxiety. Hmm. Um, But when I leave the house, she likes to have my shoe or my slipper um and what she'll do as soon as i she knows i'm going to leave she goes to the porch and selects a shoe or a slipper and then she takes that to her bed and she sleeps with it oh bless um she she doesn't show any you know she's happy for me to go away she's not distressed but she does like to have a slipper or a shoe to keep her company whilst i'm gone um so, you know, something like that is, is easy to help. And if that's if that's what helps her feel okay, absolutely fine. You can have a shoe or a slipper if that's what you would like. Yeah. Um, or a sock. She's partial to a sock. Otherwise, she'll, <laughs> a sock will do. Um, Bless. But it's, you know, it's something that helps her to feel better about herself um, when she's left alone. Yeah. Um, And, you know, for those people, if you're out there and you've got multiple dogs or you are bringing your a puppy into a household where there is or you already have an existing older dog, really, really important that you don't always leave that puppy with the older dog. You need to get your puppy to learn to be on his own because one day. God forbid something's going to happen to your older dog and your puppy's going to be on his own. And if that's not something he's learned to dealt with, he's not going to cope. Or even if your older dog or your other dog has to go in the vets overnight, yes. um, how is the other dog going to cope? So I have four dogs in my household, 10-year-old, 5-year-old, 3-year-old, and an 18-week-old. <laughs> I can take any three and leave one at home, including mm. the puppy. So I can take three dogs with me and leave one at home um, or take one and leave three at home or any combination of that thereof. Yeah. Um, and, and people say, oh, that's cruel. No, it's not cruel. Not cruel at all. It's really healthy for your dogs to be able to be like that so they can cope with any scenario. And people are like, what, you've taken your three adult dogs out and you've left your puppy at home on its own? Yep. Yeah. Yep. She needs to learn to be on her own sometimes and she has to deal with it. Yeah. Um, and that's, you know, it's really good because the amount of people or they get two puppies at the same time, don't even go there. Yes, but, no. <laughs> but if they do, those puppies need to spend time on their own. You need to practice having them separated and, and doing separate stuff because one of the biggest mistakes people leave, uh, people make is to never leave their dog because they don't have to, or they never separate their dog from the other dogs in the house. 
Yeah, yeah. Do you know, you saying that, because we had Buddy and Star, the Labrador and the Bichon, and it was early days and I didn't know, I don't know much now, but I knew, know a little bit more now than I did then. But we didn't, <laughs> <laughs> we didn't do that. We just, you know, we had two dogs. If we were going out, they came with us. If we were going out without the dogs, they both stayed and that was that. And the, the, the first time, I can't remember why on earth we did this, but it, Buddy might have had to go to the vets or something, like you say. And so I ended up walking Star on her own and we got over into the field and she just looked up at me like, what do I do? I'm on my own. Yeah. You know, I don't know. what. And she yeah. was, okay. I mean, we were so lucky because she was, you know, just the luck of the draw. She was okay with it, but she just looked up at me like, I'm on my own. I don't know what to do. And yeah. so, you what know, what do I do now? Yeah. So mm. we got away with it in, in, in that circumstance, but with a different dog or, a, you know, mm. different breed, different mm. dog, whatever. We could have really had huge problems there. So, but again, counterintuitive you think i'll be fair i'll take them all out or I'll leave them all at home because it's not fair to take one out and not the other but mm. if you can get into that mindset of i'm actually as you say i'm actually doing something good for the mental well-being of the dog yeah it's a different yeah. situation isn't it it is entirely different and of course then and again i've had clients that that are stuck in a cycle of having two dogs yes. that they don't actually want because their existing dog cannot cope on its own mm. because it always had it came in as a puppy when there was an older dog yeah and then when they lose the older dog it doesn't cope on its own so they get it a puppy as a companion oh. and then they go through the whole cycle again yeah. and then and then they say oh well i'm 72 now i don't want another puppy but I have to get one for my existing dog. Oh. Don't don't create the problem. No. You know? No. Have think about what you're gonna you know, when we get a dog, when we get on a puppy, we don't always think about what is our life gonna be in ten, fifteen years from now. And and we need to because it's you know, it's a lifetime commitment. Yeah. And you know, it, it may if if you're planning to retire at fifty five and go and travel the world, you know, don't get a dog at 50 yeah. because it's not fair. Um, you know, think about where you're going to be in 10, 15 years time. And yeah. is that dog still going to fit into your lifestyle? And the answer is no, don't get a puppy. Yeah. You know, you can always go and take an older rescue dog that might fit in your time scale. Um, but don't get a puppy. So it really is worthwhile thinking about all of these things. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. Excellent advice. As usual, you Obviously, because you are the person, you come up with things that I've never even thought of. And then once you've said them, you go, yeah, that just makes sense. Yeah, that's a, but it's, <laughs> I love talking to you because it's just, it's brilliant. I'm like, wow, I've learned I so do. much. <laughs> no, every time we talk, I learned so much. That was brilliant, brilliant. And, and the oh, thing, you're welcome. <laughs> but the thing is, the other thing I love about it, I mean, you've, you've taught me a lot, but hopefully there are people listening to this who, who may be really, really desperate. To, I'm, I'm not, I'm not saying hopefully they're desperate. You know what I mean? That. If, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm hoping that this will solve people's problems if they are feeling desperate, you know. And I've been there and had problems. And going, I don't know how I'm going to help this dog through this, but you can. Separation anxiety is horrible, horrible for you, for the dog. It for is the horrible, really horrible. Yes, yeah. yeah. But you yeah. can do it, can't you? And it's it's great mm. to be able to share that advice from you. That's brilliant. 
You are most welcome. So good luck. But yeah, anybody who is having problems, do go and seek help if you yes. can. And your vet is usually the best place to start that they can give you a referral to a properly qualified um, behaviourist, behaviour counsellor um, to help you with your specific problem and your individual dog. And remember, your dog is an individual. Don't listen to your son's daughter's hairdresser or mechanic or the person at the local shop or whatever. Go and get some advice yeah. is, is always the yeah. best way. Certainly don't listen to your husband's girlfriend because, I mean, that's no. a whole different <laughs> can of words. No, well, there you go. <laughs> oh, dear. As you said, I thought, gosh, that's very, I, I, I assume they, well, they must be divorced or something. Like that. That's very liberal. But, <laughs> but then dogs are easier to train than husbands in my experience. <laughs> if I could do husbands, I would have retired by now. Yes, yes. <laughs> Where can people find out more about you? online they they can well they can come and look at the twinkle diaries if they want to the twinkle diaries puppy training which is a free resource everybody's welcome how long it will keep going and how much content i will keep putting out there once i've gone back to work full time i don't know i will try and keep it up but it's quite a fun thing to do so twinkle being uh, the latest addition to our family um uh, Australian cattle dog puppy. Twinkle Diaries puppy training is um, a free resource for anyone to join, and we're sort of doing a, a live sort of blog thing. And it's it's not edited; it's all so I could be going for a walk, and you know something happens, so I just switch my phone on and start videoing. So you, there will be clips of you know where it's just the grass or my cleavage or something as well amongst it um it's not all beautifully edited or anything I just video as I'm going along through life and and randomly say things that I think um but people seem to like it lots of people are joining in and and asking advice so um yeah come and have a look on there and hopefully that will answer a lot of questions it is specifically um aimed at puppies but people are are sort of following the same things with older dogs as well so that's cool Yeah. Or uh, obviously come and see us at the Animal Behaviour Centre in Jersey. That was brilliant, wasn't it? I've interviewed Fiona for Dogcast Radio and for articles, and her advice always opens my eyes to things I'd never thought of before. Wow. We have the links for the Twinkle Diaries and the Animal Behaviour Centre, which Fiona mentioned, and I hope that helped Chloe and Rodney and lots of other dogs coping with separation anxiety. By the way, if you're picturing Rodney as a pug who's a podgy couch potato think again because this pug whizzes around an agility field and is as fit as well as any dog if you'd like to see a photo of him visit dogcastradio.com or one of our social media channels if you are struggling with separation anxiety get in touch or better still contact a behaviorist why do dogs always race to the door when the doorbell rings it's hardly ever for them harry hill listening to Dogcast Radio on www.dogcastradio.com. And now it's time for the Dogcast Radio news. And since it's our 15th birthday episode, we're going to focus on happy doggy news. We start with great news from Germany because they are planning to introduce new laws which will ensure canine welfare. This could include taking your dog for a walk twice a day for at least an hour altogether. And not chaining dogs up for long periods or leaving them alone all day. 
Dog breeders are covered too. They will not be allowed to have more than three litters at one time. And puppies will have to spend at least four hours a day with humans to ensure some socialisation. Dogs who have had their ears or tails docked will not be allowed in the show ring. This sends out a very positive message that, as Agriculture Minister Julia Klockner said, dogs are not cuddly toys and their needs must be met. The new legislation may be in place as soon as early next year. I wonder if there'll be any mention of keeping dogs at a healthy weight, because dog obesity is a rising problem. With one golden retriever called Kai recently reaching 173 pounds, that's over 78 kilograms, in Alberta, Canada. Kai's owner took him to the vet to be put down, but the vet refused, instead taking him to the Misfits of Alberta Animal Rescue. They took poor Kai in and found him a foster home with Pam Heggy. Pam put Kai on a strict diet. And an exercise regime, which included hydrotherapy. Golden retrievers usually weigh between sixty-five and seventy-five pounds. That's twenty-nine to thirty-four kilograms. And gradually, Kai lost weight, shedding over a hundred pounds, now weighing in at sixty-eight pounds. Now, Kai enjoys playing fetch, jumping over logs in the woods, and walking in the park. Pam has now fostered another overweight dog, Husky Woody, and is aiming to help him lose weight. There's a link on the Dogcast Radio site to Kai's Facebook page. We wish him and Woody well. Pam is obviously doing a marvelous job with them. BBC Gardeners World presenter Monty Don is famous for loving his golden retrievers, but his dog Nelly received an injury during a walk recently when Monty threw a stick for her. The stick impaled Nelly's mouth, narrowly missing two arteries. This still counts as a happy story, though, because Nelly is fully recovered, and Monty will never throw another stick for her ever. And he is using the experience to help spread the word to other dog owners that it's never worth the risk of throwing a stick for a dog. On to a stray dog who had a happy ending, which all began one rainy night. It was a dark, rainy night. I've already said that it was raining. I'm just trying to set the scene. It was a dark, rainy night. No, well, night. night is always dark. The stray dog was sad. Now he's happy. Well, no, no, that's no good, is it? So do it your way. It was a dark, rainy night. Yes, it was in Brazil when Emerson Mariano looked out of the Hyundai Prime dealership he manages. He saw a stray dog and, feeling sorry for him, invited him in for some food and water. Well, after that one act of kindness, the dog kept returning, hoping to be let in occasionally. But Emerson didn't let him in occasionally. He did not. No, he let him in for good. And he gave him a name and a job too. So now, newly named Tucson Prime is in charge of meeting and greeting customers at the dealership. He's also Instagram famous, and we have a link to the Tucson Prime account where you can see the gorgeous dog in question. On to California now, where Greg Skeens was happily reunited with his dog, who he had despaired of ever seeing again. So you know there's a happy ending, but this story is still a roller coaster to get there. When wildfire rose like a wall of orange all around the Skeens household, which included Australian cattle dog Buck, they feared they would die. But firefighters extinguished the fire, saving the day. But the fire still raged in the hills, causing wildlife to flee straight towards the house. And Buck took off after a coyote three times bigger than him, unaware that coyotes eat dogs. He was found by firefighters who assumed Buck had been burned, but actually he was undamaged, but still a long way from home. Three days passed with no sign of Buck. Then an animal control worker chatted to Greg, heard the story of how Buck had disappeared, 
and realised a dog in her care was actually Greg's dog. Hooray! And now on to our last story, which is happy. But hey, we wouldn't be us if we didn't have a bit of controversy in the news, would we? Because this is the story of Neapolitan Mastiff Neo, who was given a facelift by vets. So while we're happy for Neo to be comfortable following the removal of one kilogram of skin and each eyelid shortened by 15 millimetres, it does make you question the breeding of such a dog in the first place because the folds of skin on Neo's face had to be held back by his owners to enable him to eat. And the folds blocked his vision and made his eyes very uncomfortable. So although this can be seen as a happy story in that Neo's family loved him so much They looked after him. And they recognised his discomfort and sought veterinary care for him. It can also be a reminder of how we've misshapen some dogs in our enthusiasm to selectively breed for certain traits. And a wake-up call to learn to do better by our four-legged friends. Because they always do their best by us. So we should do our best for them. But for now, from a mainly happy Dogcast Radio News, that's it for now. See you next time. My dog was my soulmate. We both took naps. We both skipped lunch. We both hated the vacuum. Elaine Boosler. And now, without further ado, let's talk poo. So I'm talking today to Tracy Rosensteel. Hi, Tracy. Hello, how are you doing? Good, thanks. How are you? I'm doing great, thank you. Good, good. And you're, I'm in the, in the countryside in Shropshire, but you're in, in, right in the middle of New York. I am. I'm in Manhattan on the Upper West Side. Wow. Oh, I feel like a country bumpkin now. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, stay safe, because I know New York is, has had a, a challenge, so stay safe. Thank you. A very exciting place to be. So, and we're going to talk, well, I'm going to say we're going to talk about an exciting subject. To me, and I hope to most dog owners, it's exciting. Some people would go, what on earth? But, because when you have a dog, I always think, you know, part of the responsibility that goes along with the immense privilege of having a dog is you have to be the best ambassador you can for dog ownership and that's got many facets to it and becoming more and more complicated as time goes on but you have to clean up after your dog so with that in mind (laughs) tell us about your product okay great so um i agree by the way with your sentiment um I'm lucky enough to uh, be the proud owner of a French bulldog, and his name is Indiana Jones. Yeah, um, I've seen him, and he's gorgeous. <laughs> oh, thank you. I know. He's quite a character. <laughs> Global traveler, too, by the way. Mm. Um, so he's living up to the name I gave him. But in any event, so he's eight, and uh, early on when I had brought him home, and again, we live in Manhattan, so we do pick up after our dogs here for the most part, not everybody, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but on every street corner there's a garbage bin and by the end of the day there are a lot of dogs that live on this island I think over a million that are registered anyway on a 13 oh. by two and a half island right yeah so by the end of the day these garbage bins are filled up every single day with single-use plastic dog bags mm-hmm. um so time you know as time went on after I bought Indy and brought him home and um I really started to get sensitive to my use of picking up um, after Indy with the single-use plastic. So I gave it some time. I started to do some research to see what type of alternatives are out there. I, of course, went into um, looking into the eco-friendly, quote-unquote, plastic bags that are out there and just really kind of dug into what 
what created those bags? How were they manufactured? Why are they able to claim that they're, you know, eco-friendly or sustainable, et cetera? Um, and what I uncovered was, um, in large part, the products that are on the market today really don't help the environment much. Hmm. Um, so I'll give you an example. So um, among the top of the category for eco-friendly plastic, you know, uh, single-use plastic dog bags, are what's called oxo-biodegradable. So oxo-biodegradable, by nature of the manufacturing, there's an element called EPI that is ejected, right? And that allows, you know, the speeding up of the breakdown of the plastic bag. But instead of uh, breaking down quicker, what happens is they do, uh, in essence, break up, but they break into hundreds of millions of microplastic particles yeah. And end up entering the air we breathe, the water we drink, and ultimately become part of the, the food chain. Yeah. So actually, um, who was it? Consumer Reports came out about a month or two ago with their cover story. And the cover story said how to eat less plastic. So their research claims that humans ingest, in one way, shape, or form, about a credit card-sized amount of plastic every single week. Wow. Yeah, it's incredible. Yeah, and um, I think it was in 2019 that National Geographic had gone and they did a, an air quality survey in seven remote mountain ranges. You can find this online. It's called Microplastics Are Raining Down from the Sky. And basically, they had done a test of the air quality in these seven remote mountain ranges where there are no people, there is no plastic, and yet the parts per million of plastic in the air was off the chart. Um <sighs> Yeah, so it's actually, you know, again, we think we're doing something nice for the environment, and then we end up realizing that, you know, we're actually creating a bigger problem than we are solving. Yeah. Um, And the latest uh, product to market, again, to try to mitigate some of these things, is um, a type of plastic called bioplastic. So the the upside to a bioplastic is that um, the plastics themselves don't use fossil fuels. They use instead renewable energy sources, yeah. such as corn and starch and proteins, which allows the plastic to break down. But once again, only when exposed to a certain amount of sunlight, oxygen, moisture, and things that you can't necessarily control in a landfill environment. Yeah. Right. So um, we're kind of butting up against the same type of an issue, not to mention any type of plastic with animal waste inside of it and then compressed in a landfill creates methane gas. And methane gas is known to be about 87 times more potent in its first two years of release than carbon dioxide alone. Yeah. So in my study of all these different things, I was trying to come up with um, a potential solution where we can maybe replace the plastic entirely instead of just trying to, you know, enhance the plastic and um, and things like that. So long and the short, again, this probably took me about three and a half years of research and all yeah. the rest of it, but I found a U.S.-based uh, paper mill, um, and they have an already recycled non-chlorine bleach paper fiber it's manufactured at a carbon neutral facility using renewable energy. It's 100% biodegradable, 100% compostable, and the grease resistant coating on both sides of the paper is um, actually naturally made in the tumble drying process of the paper pulp. So there's no additives. It's the most green uh, product you know on the market today, uh, and we launched it 
technically, I'd say about six months ago, so towards the end of 2019. Yeah. Uh, and so far, it's been very uh, well received, which is exciting. Yeah. Oh, I bet it has, actually, because it is a worry. You know, when you have a dog, you see these reports about, you know, the the there's so many the impacts your dog and the, the the environmental poor print if you like you know the, the <laughs> of your dog and it's you know you want to make it as green as possible and you want to be as environmentally friendly as possible so I mean that's fantastic I bet that's gone down really well because again you you, you don't know where to turn and and I've done the environmentally friendly plastic bag if you like because you think well I don't want to touch the the the, um, the poop and I thought I was doing better there but I mean that's horrific so that is you know brilliant well done I bet Hasden has had a brilliant response thank you yeah so far so good so again we all know it's you know middle of COVID so it's been a challenging time to launch a business however um, we're already in about 81 stores in the U.S. nationwide um, which includes Orvis, which is a fly fishing outfitter, and they have a pretty big footprint across the U.S. Uh, we're in their catalog and online. And then Target, uh, which is, um, I think they've got about 1,800 stores maybe nationwide. They're kind of a superstore. So we're launching with Target uh, August 15th in 1,061 stores, which is exciting. Yeah. Uh, and then Chewy.com, which is one of the largest online pet stores. Uh, we just went through the vendor onboarding process and tested all of our EDI communication platforms, et cetera, to become uh, a vendor partner with them. So that's forthcoming probably in the next couple of weeks. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. It's brilliant because it, it's, it's a, it is a problem. And it's something every dog owner has to deal with, or as you say, should have to deal with, you know, and it's <laughs> something we need to do. So how should we, you know, if we, if we, when we make the choice of, of pooch paper or, you know, an environmentally, a genuinely environmentally friendly um, poo bag, what should we do with it once we've scooped the poop? Where should we put it? Because I'm thinking if I put it in my, we have a, a black dustbin that's sort of the, what we call our naughty rubbish, you know, our non-recyclable rubbish, if you like. That's, that's where we put ours. But I'm now thinking, could I put it in the compost bin? Could, yeah. Hmm. Yep. It can be put in the compost bin, absolutely. You can definitely um, compost it even in a backyard garden. But as we all know, um, animal waste carries pathogens sometimes. So I wouldn't put it in, you know, if you put it in a garden and you're growing flowers, great. If you put it in a garden and you're growing something to eat, I wouldn't suggest that because of not the product, but because of the animal waste. So, um, but yeah, it's a hundred percent organic because it's made from, you know, from trees. So yeah. it'll break down in a few weeks to a few months in any kind of uh, compost scenario. But as we all know, the best thing to do with dog waste is frankly, to either leave it in the woods or flush it down the toilet as far as its impact on the environment is concerned. Um, so when you use a pooch paper in picking it up, because we live in areas where we need to pick it up, then any type of garbage uh, is just fine. Yeah. It'll break down back to, yep, completely, you know, natural elements. Yeah, yeah. And now the other the other thing that I've got to ask you about is like the, you know, the, the ick factor, because I want to sort of touch the, the poo as little as possible. So I want a good barrier between me and that. Uh, there's nothing is, I'm sorry if you're eating while listening to this. If you're eating now, just take a little break. But there is nothing worse that I can think of at the moment than dog poo up your nail and you just go, oh, no, no. <laughs> so, 
<laughs> I've scooped a lot of poo, and I always, I, I, it's a joke. I mean, among, amongst my friends, I always end up talking poo. So, you know. but so tell me about how you know how does pooch paper, you know, how does it protect me from from that poo when I pick it up? What does it feel like? That's a great question. So. Um, our paper, is, it feels, it's super thin, but it feels maybe a little bit thicker than a plastic. Yeah. Um, so a, a typical plastic bag, like a regular sized plastic bag, is roughly nine inches wide by 13 inches long, where some of those 13 inches are up on your wrist. Yes. So as far as your surface area of picking up poo is really just the size of your hand, isn't it? Yes. So yeah. Our sheets are actually 12 inches by 12 inches, so they're larger than a standard plastic bag. We will be coming out later this year with a 15 by 15, which is even larger, um, just because the perception is such. If you have a larger dog, you know you really do want some extra space. Yeah. But um, but when you pick up a poop uh, with pooch paper, one thing that's kind of a nice side effect we didn't plan on, but it worked in our favor is the heat transfer. I know this sounds really funny, but when you pick it up, when it's fresh and you pick it up with a plastic bag, it's, it's hot, right? Yeah. So when you pick up with a pooch paper, the heat transfer doesn't come through quite like the plastic, which is kind of nice because it's, yeah. oh God, I've got poo in my hand. Um, and then once you pick it up with the pooch paper, you can twist the, the corners of the bag because the nature of the grease resistant coating on it kind of automatically come together, form in, and you twist, and then you carry it up at the top the way you would carry a plastic bag so you don't have to touch, you know, you don't have to hold it from underneath where the waist is, Um, and then toss it, and the uh, sheet automatically stays together once again because of that um, grease-resistant coating. So it's actually, you know, I've had a lot of people ask, same thing, we've gone to dog shows and, um, you know, events hosted primarily by the American Kennel Club, and you know, of course, a couple other ones for other industries. But um, the bottom line is, you know, people who originally look at it and are a little skeptical, like, oh, I don't know, it's just kind of gross. I say, look, take take a bunch of samples home, test it out with your dog and let me know how it goes. And that exact thing happened um, after an American Kennel Club event um, just this past February. Yeah. And um, the gal laughed at me. She said, I think my dog is about 170 pounds. You know, St. Bernard is huge. I said, take some home. She laughed at me. I said, just try it. So I had an email from her the next morning saying, it worked like a charm. I can't believe it. And this was the 12 by 12, not the 15 by 15. Yeah. So it's actually, you know, the people who have decided to really give it a shot and adopt it have really loved it. Yeah. Excellent, excellent. I mean, you can't get better recommendation than that, than a St. Bernard no. owner. <laughs> <laughs> a dog that weighs more than I do. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's really good. That, that's, that's absolutely right. I mean, that's, it just sounds lovely and, and, and you know, great answer to a problem. And as I say, that we all face and it just makes it that much, much more pleasant if you know you're doing the right thing. That's right. really great. So just before we finish, t- tell me a bit more about Indy. So tell me sort of, um, he's, did you say he's eight? Yes, he's eight. Yeah. He'll be nine in August. So August 22nd is his birthday. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I bought him actually from the Upper East Side of Manhattan. I, you know, totally fell in love. And I, because I wasn't planning on buying a dog, I gave myself two weeks. I did a pro-con list. I ran my budget. I'm like, I'm going to make the most emotional decision as logical as I possibly can. 
Yeah. He went back and visited him every day. Of course, I made sure to wear the same perfume so he'd recognize oh. me. <laughs> <laughs> so silly. Anyway, but, um, you know, it, I think it was the day before two weeks. I'm like, I am bringing him home today. Oh. So, um, yeah, yeah. Oh, he just is transform my life. I, I work yeah. a lot. I have a couple of other businesses. Um, and at the time I was launching them also and just was becoming kind of like a New York City machine, you know, and I brought him home the minute he came through my door. It just melted my heart. So oh, yeah. yeah, they do, yeah. don't they? They just get right under your skin and they're just they do. Oh, yeah. And so and he's a jet setter. He's been he's traveled with you. Yeah, so also at the time, another reason I wasn't looking to buy a dog is um, for about 10 years, and I hope to get back to this later this year, but I was living part-time in Italy and part-time in New York. Yeah, wow. Yeah, I have a small apartment over there, and, um, you know, I go for a month at a time, and typically about four or five months per year I would be over there. Um, So I thought, you know, what am I going to do with the dog? I can't leave him for a whole month. That's ridiculous. So um, I thought, fine, I'll bring you home and you can live my lifestyle. So he's um, eight going on nine. And I think um, now his multiple passports have amassed to to something to the tune of 30, 30 times over there. He's been in Copenhagen. Yeah, he's been it's better. <laughs> oh, bless him. Oh, he's lovely. And he's we video, cha- video chatting. So I've seen him and he's just lying. He's flat out on your sofa, isn't he? Just, just couldn't, snuggling couldn't even in. Yep. His... <laughs> bless him. Yeah. 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 No, he's great. When we're in Florence, um, you know, we'll walk down the street. It's a smaller town, right? So you get to know people. And um, I'd walk out of, or I'd walk down the road and, um, Store shop owners and people who work at restaurants—they'd all come outside. Indiana Jones. Oh, <laughs> oh bless! bless. Like, I'm here too. Hi. Yes, I know. Just, I'm just holding the lead. Fine. I'm just the dog. Yeah, so fine. I'm his handler. It's fine. Yes. <laughs> just the poop scooper. Thank you. Exactly. Yeah, you got it. <laughs> oh, bless. Well, it's been—it's been a joy to talk to you. It's been really fun. Is there anything else that you'd like to say about? Uh, pooch paper that we haven't had time yet to to oh thanks um nope just other than if you want to learn more about sustainability particularly and how this how pooch paper you know relates to other products on the market what we're trying to solve for as far as the mitigation of microplastics and things uh, we have a sustainability page on our website at poochpaper.com and i think uh, that's it we'll be expanding into the uk in probably the next couple of months actually we're working on the infrastructure of that right now uh, and our product is available online, you know, regardless of where you live. <laughs> yeah, excellent. Yeah. Well, it doesn't matter now where you live, does it? So that you can no. buy anything online. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Right. Excellent. Right. I should look forward to that. Well, thank you very much. And the best of luck with Pooch Paper. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me on. It was a pleasure. I know I say this a lot, but I love it when people see a need and they meet that need. So congratulations to Tracy for creating a truly environmentally friendly poo bag. Well, it's not a bag, it's flat, but it behaves like a bag. And honestly, I can't wait to try it. We have the link Tracy mentioned on the Dogcast Radio site. And if you've found a really green way of dealing with doggy, doodah, poochy, poo or canine caca, do let me know. That's about it for this, our birthday episode. 
I've thoroughly enjoyed the last 15 years. I hope we're still doing this in another 15 and beyond. If you've enjoyed listening to Dogcast Radio, please tell your friends and family about us and help us share even further. Until next time, look after yourselves and your dogs. Thanks for listening to Dogcast Radio, available from www.dogcastradio.com. That's D-O-G-C-A-S-T radio.com. If you'd like to get in touch with us, and wherever you are in the world, we'd love to hear from you. You can do so in a variety of ways. You can contact us on Skype with the ident Dogcast Radio. That's all one word, Dogcast Radio. By email, you can contact me on Julie at dogcastradio.com When contacting us by email, if you have the facilities, please record your questions or comments and send them to us as an audio file. That way we can include them directly in our programme. We can accept most formats, for example, WAV, MP3. All these methods of contacting us can be found on our website, which is www.dogcastradio.com And as ever, the final word goes to Jenny. What kind of dog chases anything red? A bulldog.